Sinners and Saints. Dust off those horns and halos. It's time for Alec After Dark. When I woke up this morning, I wandered into the bathroom, had a look in the mirror, and it seemed like I had added 20 years of age to my face. Now, I believe that might have come from a personal perception based on what Chris said to me last night at happy hour. Do you remember, Chris, what you said? You said, why do you look so old? I think that had an impression on me. I think you fuck with my head. So congratulations, even though you were right. I did look old. And hopefully, for happy hour this evening, I'll look different. You know, do a facial, do my skincare routine, which I don't really have, but I'm making that shit up. Maybe color this hair on my face and make it look like I was 30 once again instead of 31. (laughs) I guess I'm having an after effect from last week's episode talking about death and dying. And we're not going there, I promise you. But in last night's discussion, we got on the topic, of course, of religion and how some types of religion are just absolutely clusterfucks. They're psychotic, demented, fucked up lunacy. And I thought, well, I've been talking about a lot of different things lately. I haven't gone back to talk about some experiences in churches that I had growing up. So I thought maybe this would be a good time to to tell the world about the craziness of religion, especially in small communities out in the country in the south of the United States. I think I'm a little bit excited. We haven't done this in a while. So let's take a trip back in time to when religion was more psychotic than it is now. I guess what bothers me the most is that I'm going to have to admit that all of the preconceived notions, all the stereotypes of the American South when it comes to religion are mostly true. I have to admit that. I have to say, yes, it is. But I'm basing it on my own personal experiences. I want to start, though, with a story that my mother told me about an experience she and her family had in a church. Now, I don't know if a lot of people have heard of, I'm sure people have heard of the Pentecost, but have you heard of Pentecostal churches? If you haven't, it's not a surprise, but I think they're almost like in the closet themselves. In the area that I grew up, which was rural, poor, and uneducated, the Pentecostal church, there was one or two, maybe three. I don't think there was very many considering the number of churches that are in the area that I came from but the Pentecostals they're the ones who believe in speaking in tongues and casting out demons some of them there's one branch of them that do snake handling the taking up of of snakes let me just quote a certain verse in the Bible that's gonna lead to the story I'm about to tell. I'm going to quote from the King James Version of the Bible, the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 18. 
they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. My mother, she uh, plays the piano, and her and her sister and her parents, when she was young, they were a quartet that would, would sing in church. And they would be often invited to churches in the area, and they were invited to the Pentecostal church that's in an area that's known as the Ridges. The Ridges picture rolling hills, gravel roads, some paved, but mostly gravel, fields of barbed wire fences and horses and cows, and then you'll have sections through these rolling hills of rusted trailers and old crumbling houses and junk piled around areas and people living basically on top of each other. It's a unique combination of beautiful farms and abject poverty and several churches sort of positioned in multiple areas near where the poor live. In the areas where there aren't farms, there's plenty of forest and woodland, tons of trees. The people in general, it's it's the South. You know, in the summer, kids run around barefooted outside. You can be dirty. I just know that it has the reputation of being the most impoverished area of my hometown. I always was a little bit intimidated by the area. There was always these whispers that you didn't drive through the ridges at night. You didn't go into those areas after dark, even though I'm not sure why they said those things, but we truly never did drive through the ridges in the dark. So my mom, with her sister and her father and mother, went to this church to sing. So she said that they knew to expect certain things. They knew that people were really animated, I would say crazy, with the speaking in tongues and their behavior. At one point, they were sitting on the pew in this crowded church. I guess it was people from that church were singing, and two men brought in two separate baskets, like weaved baskets with lids on top. My mom was like to her father, what is that? And now my grandfather, I never knew him. He died when I was a little over a year old. But from everything that everybody that knew him has told me, he was one of the nicest, most decent men in the world. A foul word never came out of his mouth. In other words, he was totally different than I am now. She said, that when those baskets came out, he turned to them and said, come on, we're getting the hell out of here. And they basically ran out of the church. When they were in the car heading home, he explained to them that in those baskets were rattlesnakes, copperheads, water moccasins, all the venomous snakes that were in the area. And people in that church congregation were getting ready to handle them. They were going to pick them up and look at them and challenge them to bite them. My grandfather was not that type of person and he was not going to put his family at risk 
from these lunatics who take one scripture of the Bible and pretend like it is the most important scripture of all of them. And that's always what's got me kind of confused about the extreme religious people. They exploit a certain verse without taking the entire context of all of it. And even then, if you take the entire context, it contradicts itself all over the place. I wonder why they do that. It's almost like they're trying to brag that they have the guts, the audacity to do it. But based on my own personal knowledge, if there was a God, what you're doing is you're daring God to make that snake bite you. You're like daring him to prevent it from happening one way or the other. There is a a scripture in the Bible that says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And that corresponds to just that type of behavior. You should know better. You're supposed to have instincts that tell you not to handle snakes. Well, especially the venomous ones. That was the last time any of my family, to my knowledge, ever went to that specific church. (laughs) And it was the only incentive my mother needed to see her father's reaction at those baskets and the fear in his eyes. That was enough to prevent her from ever wanting to go to that church. In fact, I think it provided, it created a phobia for her that I think is a positive one. You don't want to be around that sort of situation. Flash forward to my life. Once again, like I said, you know, I am a country boy growing up, a farm boy living in the rural south of the United States, a very poor area. While I feel like I had a really good education, our schools didn't have the best of everything. In fact, we barely had the worst of everything. There were several kids that were raised in this Pentecostal type religion that I went to school with. And me being raised a Baptist, even though the Baptist religion today seems a lot more radical and extreme to most people compared to the Pentecostal people that I grew up around, we were like liberals. And I think that comes from my grandfather's influence on my mother on that side of the family and his influence on my father as well. My grandfather, yes, he was prominent in church. He was a founder of the church that we went to, but he didn't view everything as this deadly mortal sin. The girls in the family could wear shorts. They could wear jeans. They all could dance and have fun, and he did not frown upon it. Whereas the Baptist church and all churches in the area that I grew up were opposed to all of it. It was a sin, according to my own uncle, who was supposedly a preacher, it's a sin for men to have long hair. And God help you if you had tattoos, even though all of the ones that were in the military had tattoos, even though some would preach against it. And if you were divorced, you might as well have been had a tattoo of a scarlet letter on your chest or on your forehead. That seems so comical now thinking about it how they behaved because it truly was hypocrisy. And before I go on to the other stories about the Pentecostal experiences that I witnessed, the church in the 1930s, 40s, even into the 50s and 60s was considered the center of all of society in that area. You weren't even supposed to go to the police if there was a criminal problem. You were supposed to go to your pastor. I was able to get into 
the minutes. They would take notes of all the business meetings and all the meetings they had at the church, and they would write them all down. There was literally a woman who had to call the police on her brother who was gone crazy. He was drunk and threatening to harm her. She was expelled from the church for not coming to the deacons and to the pastor because she went to the police, to the sheriff, that was against the church. And so she was thrown out of the church. They used to kind of hold court to weed out sinners. My grandmother once said that her, her best female friend at the time, they were accusing her of doing something. They made her get up in front of the church and answer questions. And she answered them, but she said she had her, her hand behind her back and her fingers crossed so that she could lie. But she was afraid not to go up in front of the church and testify, if you will, answer the to the accusations of the church that it was better to lie to them about it than to not do it at all and face the wrath of the church. Well, to me, that's just one step below what the Salem witch trials were. At least in the area where I grew up, even back then, they didn't do that. But you were almost like you were excommunicated, like a Catholic would be. If you were ostracized from the church, you became an outsider. You weren't part of the community anymore. And that's really ridiculous because there were tons of people that did not go to church that sure as hell were part of the community. I have a great uncle who was a, a moonshiner. Unfortunately for him, he drank more of it than he sold and he wound up drinking himself to death. But here's an interesting side note. He did seem to have a fondness for me. Not in that way, you perverts. But I was one of his favorites and he used to call me, he didn't call me Alan. He called me Al Grease and Gravy. Yeah, that was the nickname he gave me. And he called me that all the time. And apparently I, I would giggle and chuckle at it. I was just little, but because I laughed at him saying it, it kind of stuck. I didn't have to deal with that too long because he died when I was like 10, I think, maybe 12. So anyway, I'm drifting off the topic, aren't I? But that's a fun little side note, isn't it? I think it is. So I was growing up with kids that were raised in that Pentecostal church. They would sometimes try to challenge me about the Baptist religion, though I had no desire to defend the Baptist religion any more than I would defend theirs. One day on the school bus, one of the girls that I was in, in school with, I don't know why she brought it up, but anyway, the subject of the earth. Oh, I do remember in our science class, we were talking about how the earth rotates and spins in the 24-hour cycle that means a day, the 365 days that counts for the, the rotation around the sun. And she was upset on the way home that day. She was telling me, not that she could ever convince me, she said, you know that all they said there was false. I'm like, false about the earth and all that? I said, no, it wasn't. Oh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. And I'm like, well, can you please explain to me how our science teacher was wrong about the earth being round and going around the sun, the 24-hour cycle, and the 365 days in a year? And she's like, I'm talking about the earth. The earth is flat because in the Bible, it talks about the four angels of God standing on the four corners of the earth. And you can't stand on four corners of a, of a round ball. So it has to be flat. And I was really taken aback. I'm probably 13 years old at this time. And I'm like, you really are serious here. You really do 
believe this? You really do believe it? And the answer was yes, she did. And so I basically had to change that subject because I wasn't going to get into an argument about that. Basically how she was arguing it, it's like it doesn't matter what science says, as long as the Bible says it, that's the truth. No matter what evidence you provide, it does not matter. Now, the girl I'm, I'm describing here, her younger sister and one of her best friends, they were in my class. And once again, they were talking about casting out demons. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said that they had been at one of their services that they had seen, um, I'll call her, let's call her Karen. Karen's father was a pastor at one of the um, Pentecostal churches, but he was a pastor at a church in a, a county to the west, almost up on the Cumberland Plateau. So they were much further away from this area. They would He would drive, you know, it was like 40 or 45 minutes to get to that church, but that was where he was the pastor at one time. And they said that at this service they had, the woman was possessed and they were able to cast out the devil, this demon. And they said, we saw the demon running around in the church and it went through the wall and out of the building. They were holding us and hiding the kids, afraid that this demon would run into one of them and possess them. And I just sat there looking at them like, you guys really believe this? And they're like, yes, Alan, it happened. It happened. You don't believe it because you weren't there to see it, but we saw it and we know it's true. I was speechless. I really was speechless. I'm actually speechless now as I'm relating this story to all you sinners and saints. Look at what I went through on some of this stuff. Now, do you have sympathy for me? One day, the church that's in the ridges, the Pentecostal church, invited the pastor of our church and the deacons and their family to the church for a homecoming. And our pastor accepted. So my parents, if the pastor said we were going, we were going. And it meant we had to go too, even though nobody else made their kids go. We were the only kids of all the deacons and the pastor that went. All the rest of them let their kids stay at home. But my mom and dad made me and my brother go to this service. So this church, oh, by the way, if you don't know what homecoming is in Southern churches, it's not really different than homecoming games in football in college and high school where alumni come back. It's like a celebration of the former students and such. Well, a church homecoming is basically the same thing. It's just that perhaps former church members who've moved away come back for that special day, but also the entire community is invited. Homecoming is usually an all-day service, starts about 10 and can last to whenever, and it includes just your regular morning service, and then you have a large luncheon or dinner, if you want to call it that. Everybody brings food, and you eat, and then in the afternoon, after everyone's eaten, they have singing. They have all the groups that are invited. They sing until they get tired of singing. And it can go on for three, four, five hours sometimes. Yeah, it can be quite miserable. 
We got there after our morning service and we were invited to eat lunch with them and we did and the food was good and then to attend the singing in the afternoon portion of the service which is what we did and that church was packed it was crowded now i just mentioned the classmates and her father who was pastor of a church that was about 45 minutes away well at this time he was the pastor of this church in the ridges so the singing begins, and it's one of the church's groups, they, a group that sings at that church. They were singing. All of a sudden, among this crowd, this woman jumps up and then throws herself down on the floor and starts doing this shaky thing, and I thought she was having an epileptic seizure. And then two of the deacons of that church go grab her, one on each arm, and they pull her toward the front of the church, and the pastor comes over and... They hold her arms outstretched on both sides, and I'll try to see if I can do what she was doing, but all of a sudden, she starts doing this speaking in tongues. And the pastor is like giving her something. I don't know if it was considered some sort of holy water. He was, I guess it was the exorcism that he was performing. And this group would continue to sing throughout this whole thing. But when that started, when she started doing that, my mom says, take your brother and go outside, which we did. But like I've said, you know, I have that curiosity kills the cat kind of personality. It being in the summertime, it was hot. The church had all their windows open. So with my brother following behind me, we snuck up to one of the windows toward the rear of the church outside and we're watching this whole situation unfold. It went on and on and on and on. I want to say like an hour and a half, maybe two hours to, to the point where people were just about exhausted. And that one group had sung the whole time to the point finally where they the singers couldn't sing anymore. And the people playing the instruments just kept playing while the pastor and these deacons were exercising this demon from this woman. Even as a young boy, I just looked at it and, and I'm like, this is just all a put on. This is all just some sort of weird, pretentious performance for all of us that aren't part of this church. It was like they were trying to impress us somehow. Apparently, the demon was exercised from her body. She's all good, and she sits back down, and everything goes back to normal. Thankfully, there wasn't somebody else who was, quote-unquote, possessed, because we would have never left there. But I do remember my parents coming out, and it being like 5 o'clock, and we were all getting hungry. And they finally said, we're just going on home, because it's just, this is never going to end. And we did. But let me add something to this to maybe make it a little bit more interesting to all you horny bastards out there. That church is located, like I said, in an area from where I grew up. It's the, the poorest area in my hometown, but those are the areas where lots of things go on. If you want to describe sin, well, I'll promise you sin is happening more in the poor areas of my hometown than even my area where I lived. And there was a lot of the boys from high school, elementary, even adult, young adult men that were always around. On that day 
of the homecoming, even people that didn't go to church kind of lingered around outside. I have a thing for bad boys, and there were a lot of bad boys that lived in the area around that church. And there was one, we'll call him Ronnie. He was, well, he was white trash, redneck, muscly, cub bear type, but blonde. And his hair was a little bit longer. Have you ever seen the Blondie video for the song Dreaming? And Debbie Harry's hair is kind of like, it's like she washed it and just kind of run her hands through it to dry it. And it's kind of sticking out like that. This is how Ronnie's hair was. But he had this other thing that he tended to do. He liked to keep his hand on his dick. And I remember us being, my brother and I, being outside. And we met somebody else that we went to school with that went to our church that lived in that area. I guess he saw us from his house and he comes over and we're kind of playing in the shade of the trees near the church. Ronnie and his wild boy friends were over from us a little ways. They were talking them all kinds of shit and everything. I knew that they did drugs and they drank alcohol, but they didn't seem to ever get in trouble. The church never did stand up to people like that in the neighborhood. I guess maybe they had the wool pulled over people's eyes, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing, even though I, I don't know how you couldn't judge that book by its cover because it was clear that Ronnie and his friends were trying to pull off this kind of white trash gang look or something. They were wicked, wicked young men, and they oozed testosterone so much that I wanted to drink it. Uh, uh, uh. So he, Ronnie, I guess he noticed, especially me, they were all talking over there, standing under and sitting underneath a different shade tree. And I could tell that he noticed that I was looking at at him in particular because I was attracted to him. I thought he was hot. Now, I'm like 13, maybe, maybe 14 at the time, maybe even younger. And I just remember him grabbing his dick in his jeans and squeezing it as he was talking. And I could see how his eyes would dart over to me to see if I was looking. And I was, with a boner and drooling. There is this sexual element within religion that nobody wants to really admit to. They don't want to talk about that, but there is. And I've heard the stories where people have equated an orgasm with a religious experience. Did that make you just want to vomit? It kind of made me too. That sounds very predatorial. And I do know that pedophiles in the church would use that to say you're having a religious experience when they're trying to molest these poor children. It's horrible. It's horrible. I do know that it goes beyond that. It does. Once again, feel free to punch me in the face or in the head the next time you see me. That wasn't meant to offend anybody. I'm not trying to to degrade or denigrate anyone. I'm just giving you an example of how people are manipulated sometimes in a way that you wouldn't expect. I've had many of my best sexual experiences with the sons of ministers and the sons of deacons. There's an, an old saying that we quietly talk about is that the only kids meaner than the pastor's children are the deacon's children. Oh, did I not mention that my father's a deacon? Yeah, he's a deacon. So what does that say about me?
so after the adventure at that church at their homecoming it was always customary for the pastor of other churches to invite the singers of that church to come to sing at our church whichever church and so our pastor did invite their singers to come sing one night at our church and when they came they had an extra singer and that singer was a guy that I had gone to elementary school with for a couple of years and let me just be honest here it's hard enough just being a regular kid in school but being a gay kid in the Bible Belt schools or being a sissy type or effeminate type boy as they define it as the bullies define it that's a whole different story but he had the reputation of being a sissy whether fair or unfair it's just the way it was seeing him up there in our late teens and they start singing and almost immediately he goes into speaking in tongues at our church which is something that we've frowned on tremendously and I was just looking at this closet case. He's probably a drag queen. He reminds me of George Santos, actually. And I'm looking at him doing this. And I'm like, you fucking fake. Hiding in the closet, doing all this bullshit. And acting as if you're somehow chosen by God to do this. It made for the whole evening for them singing like that but doing all that it made it very uncomfortable for everybody and they were never invited back again and i chose not to talk to him he looked at me and waved and i just kind of nodded i was embarrassed for him because i just think it's a bunch of bullshit it's just something to do to get attention to try to imply that you have god on your side it was bullshit come to think of it maybe he was george santos was George Santos an ever a Southern drag queen closet case? It might be worth looking into. If I could tolerate that son of a bitch's... Ugh. I can't even stand to look at that fucking shithead. But wait. George Santos already is all those things, right? Well, at least in his own mind. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Alan After Dark. I hope you had a good time. I hope you've been entertained and maybe learned a little something about the craziness of Southern religion. Remember, take life by the balls and be real. We'll see you soon. Thank you.